0: Candidates and politicians have all kinds of theories about why police departments are having such a tough time hiring and keeping sworn officers. Everything from low pay to burnout to anti-police rhetoric has been blamed. But what do economists think? And when did it all start? The labor statistics show it's not just a police officer shortage, it's a firefighter shortage, a bus driver shortage, pretty much an across-the-board government worker shortage. From KERA in Dallas, this is THINK. I'm Courtney Collins in for Chris Boyd. A new feature from the Marshall Project zooms in on what's behind the government jobs exodus and where those workers who used to clock in at City Hall or drive a squad car are ending up instead. Journalist Daphne Duret joins us now to talk about the piece, which is called It's Not Just a Police Problem. Americans Are Opting Out of Government Jobs. Daphne, welcome to THINK.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, employment in in many, many sectors, of course, plunged downward. What has recovery been like in general? And how does that compare to the employment rate for government jobs?
1: Yeah, I think what we see for jobs overall is that uh, the economy has recovered and uh, has uh, had a, a, a strong, strong recovery for non-government jobs as, a, as compared to government jobs. We've seen um, lots of recovery in the, in the private sector, but government jobs are still falling slightly.
0: So what do we know about police department shortages? It seems like there are a lot of different takes on why it's so hard to get and keep both sworn and civilian officers.
1: Yeah, and I think that uh, a lot of the thought as to why there are fewer and fewer police officers in the profession, uh, some of the reasons that people think that this is happening is largely tied to the fact that a lot of the times when we look at policing in America is when there's a high-profile incident of police officers doing something wrong, right? We look at when there's a shooting or someone or someone dies. And then that's when we look at the numbers in policing or we look at job satisfaction of police officers. But there are a lot of things going on day to day that uh, contribute to police officers leaving the profession that may not have anything to do with some of the cases that we see in the headlines. And what we do know is that even before the pandemic, even before uh, George Floyd was killed. We know that uh, people within the law enforcement profession were warning police departments that there was an exodus, not just from law enforcement, and not even just from government jobs, but from all public facing uh, roles in our society. So construction, nursing, some of those other industries as well had uh, a, a; they were bracing for a drop in employment in those sectors, and then the pandemic hit, and what we saw was what actually they predicted happening, um, and that was a number of people leaving those jobs.
0: Since we know the claim of anti. Police rhetoric being responsible for shortages has been kind of widely circulated. I want to start with a little clip here. Your piece um, from the Marshall Project starts with an excerpt from the State of a City address that was given in November of 2022. So we're going to hear a little bit of that now from Tulsa Mayor G.T. Bynum. The toxic national dialogue that demonizes police officers has made police department staffing significantly more difficult for every major city in America. And Tulsa, despite the strong local support for law enforcement, is no exception. Are elected officials from around the country saying similar things to what G.T. Bynum said in his speech?
1: Definitely there are elected officials, um, union leaders and others that are saying that people are leaving law enforcement because of anti-police sentiments. And, you know, for this piece, my colleague Wali and I spoke to a number of people in law enforcement, sheriffs, police chiefs from across the country. And we also spoke to a lot of police recruiters. And what I will say about that is there were some mentions of some people who, New police officers who had some concerns about, and and it wasn't just really the law enforcement rhetoric. What they were more concerned about was if they had a bad day on a job on the job and addressed someone in the wrong way. The fact that we all have cell phone cameras, we're living in a society where social media is at its height. Um, the concern that 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 they said some people had was that. You know, they would they would say something the wrong way to someone, and it would end up on social media. and then that would cause um, that would cause some backlash for them. So it wasn't quite the anti-law enforcement rhetoric, the way that uh, Mayor Bynum and some others have ha- have said, uh, although Mayor Bynum did allude to that in his in his address. So he did, hit that, he did hit that point. But what I found and what Wei Wali and I found when we were talking to folks was that, that was a concern, but that was not necessarily why people were leaving law enforcement. And that wasn't necessarily why people weren't opting into the profession. What we found by and large is that like other government sector jobs, people who were going into law enforcement found that they could work more flexible schedules, even work from home, And make more money than they would be making in law enforcement jobs. And so, what would happen is that they would be in law, officers would be in law enforcement for a little while. Some of them would either start a side business or something else. And then they would find that they could work more flexible hours and make more money doing something else. And so, they left. So that's what that's what we found, uh, by and large, is the most prevalent reason that people were leaving law enforcement. As f- as to why people weren't entering law enforcement, or people weren't people who were early career didn't stay in law enforcement, is that unlike other professions law enforcement traditionally has been the kind of job that people could go to one or two departments and make a whole 30-year career out of being one or two two places. And what The economists told us was that in this uh, generation of of, of folks uh, entering the workforce, a lot of people who are going into the workforce for the first time are looking to stay in a job for about three to five years and then move to something else or move to another part of the country or just do something else. And law enforcement is one of those professions that that's not that as easy to do where you can be an accountant and work in Arkansas today and pick up and move to New Jersey tomorrow and have no, you know, Really, no uh, extra difficulties doing that. Law enforcement is one of those professions that it, that's really tough to change from department to department. In Tulsa, Oklahoma, for example, uh, where where uh, we mentioned this example. In order to become a police officer for, for Tulsa, even if you've worked for another department, you have to go through their police academy, which includes months and months and months and months of training before you can be uh, a Tulsa police officer. And that's even if you've worked somewhere else before and had other experience. So there's a lot of job seekers that are not tr- trying to go through that process. Again, they'd rather be in a profession or they could switch to, from job to job without having to go through all that training again.
0: And I know this might go beyond the scope of what you learned for this piece, but it's interesting to me that the whole philosophy behind working has changed in that way. I mean, We all have heard for years that people were company men and women who stayed at the same place and got their gold watch at the end of their tenure and retired with their pension, but that just really doesn't seem like anyone's mindset in the workforce now. Did you learn more about why that is, why people want to be less tethered, more mobile, more flexible as compared to, you know, working at the same place for their whole career?
1: Yeah, I think that's a function of opportunity, right? I think that there's, uh, for example, in, in our piece, we uh, spoke to uh, a gentleman who was a police officer in, in Florida, Elmond Dean Todd. And he, uh, he was a police officer for two police departments in Florida's Panhandle. And he spent more than a decade as a police officer. He was dedicated to his craft. Unlike most of the uh, people who, who cited financial considerations as why they left law enforcement, he did not have um, any problem with uh, uh, his salary, mostly because he had started an e-commerce business and some other things. And so he was bringing in, uh, money on the side and he, he was a police officer just because he really loved doing it. But he also developed a hobby, wh- what started off as a hobby of, um, writing fantasy fiction. And so he started going to these conferences, like the, uh, comic cons and all of that kind of stuff. And his books started picking up, um, picking up in popularity. And what he, the pivotal point for him where he decided to leave law enforcement was that he was working for, I believe it was Santa, Santa, Rose, um, Santa Rosa County uh, as a school police, a school resource officer. And he had to work on a day that he had been, he, he had previously asked to take off to go to one of his conferences. And so because of that inflexibility and because he was already financially independent from both his side businesses and his and his side career that was taking off he ultimately decided to leave law enforcement and these are opportunities that may not have been as available to him 30 years ago as they are today one thing that the recruiter in 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 Tulsa told me so eloquently was that you know you and I can tomorrow start uh, an Etsy business from our garages and, and bring in a significant income if we get enough, enough business. And so it's easier than ever to start, uh, to start a home-based business. And those kinds of opportunities were not as, as plentiful, let's just say three decades ago.
0: Something that was so interesting in this piece, something I had not really thought of, is uh, you point out that one of the reasons the police officer shortage seems so severe, maybe even more severe than it actually is, is because it really impacts big cities. So can you explain why when you have critical shortages in places with a lot of density, it kind of ripples out to paint a picture broadly?
1: Yeah, what what um, my colleague Wei Wali found in the analysis of the labor data was that cities with more than one million uh, residents had twice the rate of of departure from from law enforcement and from government jobs as as a whole as uh, cities that were smaller than that. And so when we are looking at the analysis of people um, leaving uh, certain sectors. A lot of times, we are looking at these larger cities. Number one, because uh, there's there's more of there's more of us, I, meaning us, meaning uh, uh, reporters and journalists reporting in these uh, larger cities, and and so we're highlighting um, these these facts more than um, the smaller departures would be in the in in the smaller areas, but also um these larger more densely populated areas are one where law law enforcement officers are having the most interactions with people and if you remember earlier i was telling you about the warning of the departure from public facing jobs that was that that folks warned about in 2019 even before the pandemic that we saw playing out during the pandemic so other careers where people have to deal with the public, restaurant workers, flight attendants, um, other, other jobs like that, like that, where people were leaving. they also, that was also uh, the case with law enforcement officers in, in bigger cities.
0: Talk to me a little bit more about how those public facing professions have been struggling, but really have hit a tension point of struggle since the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: Yeah, as I was, as I was saying earlier, even before the even before the pandemic, um, some groups were warning about a dip in the job sector for public facing um, public facing jobs, but that only uh, heightened and intensified because of the um, because of the pandemic. And one thing I think that that is uh, worth noting that we made a we we made a point to mention. In our story was that, you know, we hear a lot of talk about not just um, law enforcement officers taking lives in the, in the line of duty and also losing lives in, in the line of duty, but for 2020 and 2021, the leading cause of death for police officers in the United States was COVID-19. So it was contracting COVID in the line of duty. And so you have, when you think about the numbers of police officers who have retired or even retired early in the past uh, few years or or certainly since 2020, you think about the fact that um, in in those two years, the number of officer deaths skyrocketed and it was related to COVID-19 contraction while in in the line of duty. And you think about someone who might be a few years away from retirement trying to work in in the pandemic, especially in these cities with a population of over a million people where your your likelihood of, of interacting with high numbers of people and po- possibly contracting COVID is might be higher than in um, a rural outpost where you're not encountering as many people during your shift. And so that... Goes to explain a bit of the numbers in terms of people retiring early and leaving the profession. And then on the front end of things, there's a number there's a dip in the number of people who are entering the profession. And that's why you see um, from both sides, there are um, there are not enough people re-entering the law enforcement field to account for the numbers of people who are retiring.
0: And yet to that end, I I, you guys had a phrase in this piece that I hadn't heard before. Can you explain what you mean by the silver tsunami?
1: Yeah, Courtney, I I will tell you, I had not heard of the silver tsunami until I started uh, reporting this piece. And I was talking to one of our experts and my ears perked up when uh, when (laughs) When she, when, she first, uh, when she first said it. And the silver tsunami is a word that describes the dynamic of the, uh, the baby boomer um, uh, generation entering, uh, entering retirement age. And so what we're seeing is a bunch of people who are now at retirement age exiting the workforce, and we're seeing you know, a, a, a dearth in the workforce because of that.
0: So basically, the, the point you all uncovered was there were a lot of people who may have been near retirement age, but not quite ready to go. But COVID-19 starts to spread. You're in a public-facing, highly interactive profession. That a lot of people just took that as their sign to leave a few years early.
1: Right. That's, that's the, the case.
0: That's really interesting. Talk to me a little bit about, um, you mentioned how the dense cities have a lot of government jobs who are interacting with people, but a lot of people decided when COVID-19 started to spread that they didn't necessarily not just want to work in those public-facing jobs. They might not even want to live in those densely populated cities. They might want to live and work somewhere else entirely.
1: Yeah, and, and one thing that the labor data didn't show us was you know where the migration of police officers were in terms of whether whether or not the the migration matched mm-hmm. um, overall uh, population migration. but we do know, as you said, Courtney, that a lot of people moved from a lot of densely populated areas to more rural areas and I think a lot of this was because, there are a lot of professions just in the private uh, uh, sector where previously you had to be in the office, and you were um, you were then you know able to work from home. I, what I didn't hear from the folks in some of the more rural uh, police agencies that I talked to, I didn't necessarily hear about a surge in employment, at, you know, in smaller town mm-hmm. uh, police agencies, and I think that may be because the smaller agencies pay less. Mm-hmm. I talked to a sheriff in Idaho that uh, told me that uh, he had over the over the past since 2020 he's had 33 officers leave his department and he said about half of them went to um, better paying jobs in the uh, in the private sector. But the other half went to other police agencies that were able to pay better. Mm-hmm. And by, by and large, we're seeing that, that in general, those agencies usually happen to be in medium or larger cities. But what we are seeing is that several mid midsize um, and large cities are now offering really uh, strong signing bonuses and other incentives to get people to join their department.
0: So let's move a little bit away from police departments and talk about some of the other government worker shortages we've seen. We, I think anyone in America has heard a lot about teacher shortages since COVID-19, um, but schools are also short on staff members. People like janitors and bus drivers are also in short supply as well.
1: Right. And what we found, and I think that that's what you know really illustrates that this is not just a a policing problem is that, in this just anecdotally, as we were looking through the data and the you know hundreds of cities that we we examined for this story, what we found is that in the same cities where uh, police departments were offering incentives for people to come and work because they had uh, large uh, employment gaps in their departments, in those same cities. Uh, people were struggling to find school bus drivers, firefighters, and other public facing uh, professions. So it was almost side by side at the same time that uh, um, uh, uh, city leaders were offering incentives for people to become police officers. They were also trying their best to find incentives for people to become um, uh, teachers, school bus drivers, and And firefighters, you know, there were there was once uh, a city where uh, um, hmm. firefighters were cross trained as paramedics to make up for the lack of 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 firefighter paramedics and so those kinds of things are, are happening in the same cities where there are police shortages.
0: I was surprised by some of the possible solutions to things like school bus driver shortages. States, school districts have bandied about some pretty dramatic plans, Um, you know, if they felt they were short on essential personnel. For example, didn't one state consider the four-day school week, not because it would be better for kids or learning or parents, but because they just didn't have enough people to staff five days of routes?
1: Yeah, we heard about that in, in, in one place. We also heard of, um, a school shutting down at least temporarily because there weren't, uh, because of, of, of teacher, uh, staffing issues. But here's the, here's the thing. And I think here's the thing where law enforcement, um, distinguishes itself. You can't shut down, um, responding to calls for service because. You don't have um, enough enough uh, police officers, and that's the argument of a lot of people in law enforcement saying that you know, hey, if we don't have enough police officers to to staff each shift, then that results in longer wait times when you call for 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 nine one one and certain things that we can't do. I talked to some chiefs and sheriffs across the country that we're saying that they they're having to make really tough decisions about what they um, about what they can and 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 can't do and th- some of them are looking at what are they required to you know by law to respond to and figuring out how they're going to scale back the things that th- they're doing in some cities to go above and beyond that
0: it's interesting to me that law enforcement is you know, perceived in that way is the most critical. And when you think about schools being open five days a week, I think several years ago, nobody would have differentiated. They would have said, well, kids go to school Monday through Friday. It's Parents are reliant on that time to get to their jobs, but also children have to be in school five days a week to learn. It's interesting to me that there is a distinction now that schools could be possibly shut down or short the week could be shortened, um, that that is viewed kind of separately from the importance of law enforcement.
1: Yeah, I don't think and and, and and if I said critical, I mean, in terms of like, em, like emergency services. Of course. Oh, no. I, I, meant yeah. more,
0: I meant more that it seems odd that we would even have considered the two of them separately. Maybe a few years ago, we wouldn't have. But now because of COVID and because of all these shortages, it seems like so many different things um, are being so many alternatives are being considered.
1: Yeah, I think well, and I I think that that's a what some of the experts we spoke to talked about is how the pandemic has caused us all to it's caused a overall shift in in society and 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 how we and how we do things and and I think that that is you know when we think about what's like you said, w- when we think about what's critical and what's essential, I think even beyond that consideration, there's also a consideration on an individual level as far as what's important in life and what is essential for each each person or each family uh, to live. One of the things that one of the economists I talked to told me was that you know, she was talking about having one of her um, one of her close relatives in law enforcement and since the pandemic and since um, um, this overall uh, uh, shift in how we think about work that uh, sh- she is having conversations with that relative about whether or not it's he should even be in law enforcement for the simple fact that you know law enforcement is perceived to be a a dangerous job. And I think when we're thinking about families, who many of whom have gone through losing loved ones because of the pandemic, people are rethinking about their quality of life. And we do, we do know um, that at least from some of the research that um, law enforcement officers report often being under high levels of of stress we know that that's true especially for other law enforcement related professions like corrections workers they report a high level of stress so people are in, in you know we were you, the question that you asked with me was on a more broad professional level but even if we take it down to the um personal level people are what seems to be uh, critical in terms of i really want to do this job is Now taking a back seat to what's going to give me more time to spend with my family and what's going to give me more time to do the kinds of things that I like. And I think that's taking some people away from, from jobs that they were doing before the pandemic. Are
0: there other areas, we talked a lot about law enforcement and and folks like bus drivers, firefighters, first responders, are there there other areas in in government that are struggling to stay full right now? I think about like kind of the typical city workers thing, you know, people who work in sanitation or code enforcement or for the parks department or in one of the other city departments. Are they struggling in the same way? I know it's a smaller pool than, you know, an entire law enforcement department or a crew of firefighters, but just curious what the data shows.
1: Yeah, I, well, so the data doesn't parse out by individual, um, you know, individual uh, professions Got within uh, within within law enforcement. So I all I can tell you, Courtney, is what I've heard anecdotally, and I can say that, for example, um, government IT workers are finding that, and I'm sure this comes as no surprise to you that. That they can they can make more money working in the private sector doing um, doing IT work than they can in the government sector. And again, they can do a lot of these jobs working from home. Even though in some government in some um, in some uh, ci- city uh, governments, they are allowing folks like IT workers to work from home. And DC is uh, is. Is uh, one place that is coming to to mind as a place where they spent you know some money putting some infrastructure in place to allow some folks to uh, work work from home. But there are you know there are other jobs that you can get in the private sector doing IT work that will pay you more than working in the governments in the in the state and local government sector.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about pay. We've kind of mentioned it in, in several different ways throughout this conversation, but is, is it always going to be a lower salary in a government job than its counterpart in the private sector, or is that not always true?
1: Yeah, that I don't know, and that's not something that we um, necessarily researched uh, in, in, in depth for for this particular piece. I think that there are certainly we know that one of the I was just having this conversation the other day about um, uh, the different things that uh, law enforcement officers do, uh, you know, as secondary jobs or, or, or moonlighting, I think, is is mm-hmm. is determined working private security is is, you know, at the top of of, of the list. And I have seen over my. Years of covering law enforcement, a lot of um, law enforcement officers, even people of rank in police departments, leave to take jobs uh, doing private private security where they're paid a lot more. There's a lot of um, law enforcement officers really bright. Uh, uh, people who are leaders in the law enforcement sector also leaving to take jobs working with consulting companies that provide either um, equipment or um, other other tools to law enforcement agencies. If you look at a lot of the um, companies, um, private companies that offer, for example, uh, simulated uh, training um, Training videos and, and and stuff like that to uh, police agencies. A lot of the leaders of those companies are former law enforcement officers who now work in the private sector, um, work selling um, training equipment and and materials to people in law enforcement. So that's the closest um, that's the closest uh, comparison that I can make. But again, that's that's um, not something that we studied in depth for this piece.
0: Daphne, something interesting I enjoyed reading about in your piece was how government departments have kind of changed their approach to recruiting. What are they doing differently? I mean, are they trying to meet people where they are, go to into different communities or appear at different events to try to be more visible? How has the recruiting part of this changed recently?
1: Yeah, I think um, that was uh, an interesting uh, finding when uh, my colleague Waywali and I were reporting this story was that we found uh, just a number of different things people in law enforcement were doing to, to combat this. And again, going back to what I said earlier in the hour, in many cases, these were folks who had researched this and even before the pandemic had anticipated some challenges in recruiting. And for example, you know, the recruiter in in Tulsa, a lieutenant that I spoke to from Jefferson City, Missouri, and um, some folks in uh, Seattle had also, uh, had had all been, you know, thinking about um, how to get people engaged and how to get people in in law enforcement, and in Jefferson City, uh, Missouri, so, uh, the uh, officer in charge of recruiting there also teaches at what has become the first police academy at a historically black college or university. And so, what he's doing is he's going to he, he's going to the police uh, academy, and because he's a teacher in a um, in, in that academy, he's got a pipeline of students that are already thinking about going into, um, into law enforcement and he's um, able to um, show them uh, the option of, of working for his department.
0: So we talked a little bit about this kind of throughout the conversation. Um, in your opinion, what are some of the more interesting things that governments and departments are doing to attract people? I mean, we talked a little bit about cash bonuses or signing bonuses, maybe some work flex. Like, what do you think is effective for them or what are they having to do to get people in the door?
1: Yeah, I I, yeah, I think time will tell how effective these these uh, strategies are. I know in some places they are relaxing um, some of the some of the requirements. A sheriff in one place that I spoke to had previously n- not allowed people to come from other other departments and and uh, and go out on the patrol like they would have to. They would normally have to like start um, start as a as a jail deputy, but now he's considering changing that just in order to attract. Uh, people who already have some law enforcement experience to come to his department. That was a position that he, the road patrol positions were uh, positions that he usually prioritized for his jail deputies who had been consistent and shown that they, they, they were um, reliable over the years. But now he's having to change some of those rules because, because he's got a, a gap in his numbers and he needs um, more officers within his department. So that's one example that I saw. Another uh, example that I saw was, you know, people going to to uh, different events. In one department, uh, a, um, a recruiter was going to uh, different events. I, I remember she went to like the Vietnamese Lunar New Year festival. I was gonna get that right, <laughs> and set up and set up a uh, and set up an informational booth to talk to people about um, about a career in law enforcement. And her goal is to get folks who may not have been thinking about being in law enforcement, or may have not been thinking that they were from a community that might be. Uh, sought after in law enforcement to know that uh, the their local police department really wants them uh, to be among the ranks.
0: And it's interesting you talk about these departments having to make changes or reimagine specific things. Because it's tough to make changes when you're a governmental department because it's not the same as working in the private sector. You don't always have the authority to adjust things or to change a schedule or to change the way training procedures work because a lot of that has to go beyond you and your as an individual boss. You know, in the private sector we know good and well that if you make a good case for something and your boss likes it, you know, it might go through. That could be for a raise, for a training you wanna do, for a policy or procedure change. But when that happens inside a governmental department, it's not always up to your supervisor. Um, how much is like rigidity, kind of a problem of the evolution of government work?
1: Yeah, that was something that one of um, one of the economists that Wei Wali and I spoke to. That was something that that he mentioned uh, to us because, as you know, being in a public public job, the salaries are are somewhat fixed. Mm-hmm. So. If Courtney, if you and I um, had, um, for you know, for some reason um, wanted a, a promotion or, or 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 a pay raise that might be um, beyond the scale of what our 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 newsrooms normally uh, normally pay, that would be easier for us to get in our profession than it would be in a police department. Mm -hmm. And so what what a lot of government agencies are doing, though, is police chiefs and sheriffs are lobbying their city councils to to enact pay raises for for police officers. And that that is where um, this employment issue is intersecting the, you know, the the defund uh, police uh, debate, because. What a lot of police agencies are saying is if we want to keep police officers, we've got to pay them. We've got to pay them competitive wages.
0: Yeah, because what's interesting about government work is things are scheduled. There's not a lot of mystery. So people do know that they may be kind of close to their income ceiling and that makes it hard to motivate
1: Right. I think that's what we saw. And like I said, even in cases like the gentleman that I was telling you about earlier in the hour, Elm Todd, he was making, I believe, between 45 and 50,000 a year. And the only reason that that wasn't a a big deal for him is because he was making money elsewhere and supplementing his income. But if you think about someone in his age group, and I think he was in his uh, mid to late 30s. um, But if you think about um, someone in Florida making that kind of money and being able and, and seeing that they're coming up on a, on a ceiling mm-hmm. um, in, in income versus, you know, that example that I told you about earlier of opening an Etsy shop and, and, and making however much you bring in in sales. Um, that flexibility is the kind of thing that is bringing a lot of people to the private sector. That's what we found.
0: I want to ask you a couple kind of big picture questions, and I know this isn't exactly what the piece was about, but in your opinion, just based on the folks you interviewed and the people you spoke with, why do people work government jobs? Is it the stability or is it a calling or is it a combination or or some for some and others for others?
1: Well, Courtney, I think based on the folks that – we talked to for this piece. It's a combination of everything you said. I think traditionally, government work has been seen as more stable. And one of the things that will be interesting to see um, as we're watching our economy in the in the um, next uh, couple of years, and this is something that the recruiter in Tulsa seemed to be optimistic about, is the fact that when economies are in trouble people tend to gravitate to government jobs because they can perceive them to be more stable. And so um, that I think is is part of um, what may be um, the thing that people are optimistic about in terms of getting uh, you know some stability in, in law enforcement numbers. But in general, I think that there were a lot of people who in years past, according to the officers that I talked to, saw law enforcement as as more of a calling. And I think that that's that's where also the new generation of job seekers are thinking a little differently. Because if you consider a job a calling, you might be more tempted to stay in the same place, doing the same job for 30 years. And what the recruiters that I talk to are finding is that people entering the workforce, again, I don't think it's a it's a reflection on the dedication of the people who are entering the workforce. It's just that it's an it's it's a new day we can, you know, it's easier than ever to pick up roots and move from one city to another for professionals. And so what we're finding now, what they are finding now is that people want to stay in a job for three to five years and then move to something else or move to another city or try out another part of the the country.
0: So what happens if the popularity of government jobs doesn't ever recover? Say there is not like a recession that sends people coming back to City Hall for the stable job that with the salary they can count on, say it just stays the way that. We're seeing things now forever. What does that mean, kind of, for people living in the world? Does it change kind of our experiences as citizens of cities and counties and states?
1: Yeah, I don't know, Courtney. I, I and I didn't get, you know, a clear indication from the folks that we talked to, in terms of what. That That is, you know, as I was talking to folks, I, I kind of told them, uh, can you, I, I know I'm asking you to look into a crystal ball <laughs> right. here, but can you tell me, you know, what you think is going to happen in the, next, in, in the next few years? And I think they're thinking, you know, it goes back to what I was saying earlier in terms of police chiefs and sheriffs having to make decisions as far as on the law enforcement side as far as, you know, what calls they respond to and what calls that um, they don't respond to. And I think that somewhat intersects the debate in law enforcement in terms of how law enforcement officers are doing their jobs and what they're allocating um, their resources to. There's some case to be made by some folks that, that you know, law enforcement officers in some cases are responding to things that they shouldn't be responding to and looking at how to change um, uh, the way law enforcement interacts with people in the communities that they're supposed to be serving. So I definitely think that the employment issue in law enforcement is going to be part of that debate for in in the next three to five years, but how exactly that is going to shape out is not clear to me from the folks that I talked to for this piece.
0: And I know I'm making you look into a crystal ball as well, and I apologize, but there's just so many kind of big questions that arise from thinking about jobs that have always been you know, popular and stable being less popular and um, as a result maybe less stable. But I-, I wonder if anybody has the opinion this might be a good thing. Like if, for example, if people aren't willing to work the same kind of jobs for the same kind of pay, does it force our systems to adapt and work smarter and improve and meet people where they are? Did you get any indication from economists or recruiters that things might move in a good direction?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think in, in in large part, I I haven't, I, I for this piece hadn't talked to anyone who really knows what's going to, sure. what's going to uh, happen. I think I talked. you know, the economists that I talked to think that we might be in the early signs of. Of a recession and as i said before i think that um there's uh, there's some thoughts that uh people gravitate to the government sector when when um when uh, the economy is in trouble because government jobs are viewed as more stable and so if that scenario plays out then that'll bring some stability to uh the government sector at this point though if you look if you zoom out and you look at the look at the 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 numbers of the drop in law enforcement, you know, over the past year, it was, you know, uh, um, almost like one and a half percent, and from the pandemic until now, it was, it's nearing, you know, three percent. So we're not get and and again, these. I want to be clear that that, because that was the premise of our piece is that these numbers are 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 mirroring um, government the government sector as a whole. Mm-hmm. So th- that is um, that is a substantial drop, but according to the economists that, that we spoke to, it's not like at a critical like alarm level at this point. So if I'm, and again, I'm not an economist, but if we're looking at um, a moderate drop in the past few years And if a recession brings people back to the government sector, then that would be a stabilizing force. And maybe those questions that you're asking in terms of rethinking the way that folks are doing things, maybe that's not something that they'll have to, those cities will have to be dealing with, at least not now.
0: My guest this hour is Daphne Durrett. She's a staff writer for The Marshall Project. We were speaking about her piece. It's not just a police problem. Americans are opting out of government jobs. Daphne, thank you so much for your time. What an interesting conversation. Thank you, Courtney. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for KERA Think and subscribe to our podcast for free wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for KERA Think. You can also get the podcast on our website where you can find out about upcoming shows. That's at think.kera.org. Once again, I'm Courtney Collins and for Chris Boyd. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.